We come this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is the Song of Moses. In Sunday school, we just finished the Song of Deborah. But before Deborah's song, there was the Song of Moses here in Deuteronomy 32. You, you might remember that back in chapter 31, the people of God have been warned concerning forsaking the true and the living God, and that if they would forsake him, he would forsake them. And in the midst of giving them that warning, Moses has been instructed by God to write a song. The instruction would come on the heels of God telling Moses that if they forsake me, I will hide my face from them. Moses was told to write it, and he was told to teach it to the sons of Israel. He was told to place it on their lips so that, quote, the song may be a witness for me against the sons of of Israel, that they were to memorize this song. They, they were to sing it often as a witness for God if they would forsake him. And we are told at the very last verse of chapter 31, Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel and the words of the song the words of the song, until they were complete. So Moses has a time, we might say a music lesson, and he gathers all the assembly together, and he teaches them this song. Now again, the purpose of the song, we might say, is twofold. First purpose is that the children of Israel would listen and not forsake the Lord. Remember, God made a covenant with them. And in that covenant, he has said they were to obey his voice and do that which is written in the covenant. And all the people said, the things that you have spoken, we will do. And so now this song is to help them be obedient to that which they declared when they said, we will be an obedient people. The other reason for this song was that if they found themselves drawn away from God, if they came to the point where they forsook God and followed other gods, this song would serve as a reminder to them of what God has done for them and their need to be obedient to him and continue in a relationship with him. So the other purpose for this song was to bring the wayward back into a relationship with God. So as they learn this song, it would hopefully keep them from forsaking God, but it was also used that if they did forsake God, I sort of imagine them sort of one day somebody's 
sitting in their homes and somebody begins humming. And somebody, oh, that, that's a familiar song. What is that song? I, I remember, what, what is that song? Oh, yeah, that's the song of Moses. And hearing that song would bring them to recognize their sin, repent of their sin, and come back into fellowship with God. Singing has that way about it. Years ago, you know, I, I tell the story, when, when we used to go to Decumsey Place, and we were, I remember they had a home for Alzheimer's patients who, who would sit there, many of them, sort of just staring in the distance. And, and we would begin singing some of the old hymns, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. And on more than one occasion, someone who was sitting there, sort of looking off in the distance, not really with us, would suddenly move their head and begin that say a wretch like me. I remember the daughter of one of the patients there in that place after our service coming up to me with tears in her eyes and saying to me, I, I can't believe what I saw. To which I said, what did you see? And she said, mom has not spoken a word for over a week. We've sat in front of her. We've tried to remind her of various things. We've talked about her grandchildren. We've talked about her great-grandchildren. She has not responded at all. But as you began to sing that hymn, I watched my mom for the first time over a week lift up her head and begin singing. Singing has that effect upon people. I, I remember when, when I was in elementary Greek at the academy, and, and there would be certain lists, the alphabet, um, declensions that we'd have to memorize. And, and, and our instructor would teach us these things by coming up with tunes that we could hum that would help us in memorizing the things we need to memorize in that class. So, so you could imagine during the final exam, we're, we're all in that class, we all have our papers, our exams in front of us, we have these lists that we need to set down in these papers, and, and throughout the class you could hear guys humming. <laughs> they weren't singing, humming, oh my darling, because they just didn't have anything else to do at the time. There, there, there was a list that went with that tune, and it would help us to write that down. So singing has that ability. So, so now Moses has given the people of God this song that would be a means to help them Stay faithful to God, or if there is sin in the camp, to repent and turn away from it.
that this morning we will will simply look at the first 14 verses of this psalm. And as we do so, we, we will notice three things. And the first thing we will notice in this song is the spirit, the spirit of the song. Verses 1 and 2, follow as I read. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teachings drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on fresh grass, and as the showers on the herbs. In this introduction, Moses sets before us something of the spirit of this song. He's saying, here's what this song ought to mean to you. Number one, it ought to speak to you about the seriousness of the things found in the song. And number two, it should speak to you about the usefulness of this song. It's found with a spirit of seriousness, but yet also with a spirit of usefulness. First of all, with a spirit of seriousness, Moses calls out for witnesses. I need witnesses who will stand with me, witnesses who are reliable, witnesses who can speak of the reality that God has promised You will be my treasured people, and they have promised we will obey you. And who better to be a reliable witness than the heavens and the earth? Heaven and earth, as as reliable as it gets. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. It's not fickle. It's not one morning you get up and it's pitch dark and you try to find out why and you turn on the local news and the local news says, for some reason, the sun decided not to come up this morning. And he was really upset because not enough of you were really thankful for the sunshine. And therefore he decided, I'm not going to show up this morning. No. At nighttime, the sun goes down. It's reliable. It's it's not at 2 o'clock in the morning. The sun is shining brightly. It doesn't change its mind. There is something reliable about such a witness. And what Moses is calling upon is for witnesses to come forward who will bear witness to the truth that God will care for his people if the people are obedient to God. And therefore he calls upon heaven and earth to be those witnesses against the rebellion and the disobedience that will take place. These witnesses confirm that God did warn you. God told you what would happen. He assured you of the curses that will come if you do not obey. And of the blessings that will come if you do obey. There are witnesses 
who rise up, who rise up. Isaiah speaks the same way. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2, Isaiah says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And so what Moses is telling the people of God here is, this is a matter you need to take very seriously. It's a matter that you need to contemplate and remember Because you have witnesses that will rise up against you. You are warned. And there are witnesses to that reality. This is a serious matter. But the second thing he says, by way of the spirit of this song, there's also the spirit of usefulness. Notice what he says there in verse 2. Let my teachings drop as the rain. And my speech distill as the dew. His desire wasn't that his teachings would drop like a storm. His teaching wasn't that his, 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 his words weren't that the teachings would come as a deluge. But he says, as the rain. Something that is beneficial. The purpose was not to cause pain or destruction. This warning comes not to hurt you with truth, but but as a means to refresh you, to do you good. The same language is used back in chapter 30 and verse 19, where again we read, I call on heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set life I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. It's it's a call to recognize these warnings are for your good, not for your destruction. And so here we see that the spirit of this song. It's a spirit of seriousness and a spirit of usefulness. But secondly, as we read down through this psalm, in verses 3 and 4, we we have the focus of this psalm. The focus of the psalm. For I proclaim in the name of the Lord Ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteousness and upright is he. The the, the focus of of this song is upon God. He he, he wants them to be a people who are faithful and and loyal to God. Do you remember the chief concern that Moses has for these people? He's afraid because of past history that they would be playing the harlot with strange gods in the land. The concern would be that they would go after other gods 
and forsake the true and the living God. His concerns was they would they would follow after idols. The, the psalmist uses somewhat of the same language, or at least speaks about the worship of idols. In Psalm 115, verses 4 through 7, their idols are silver and gold, the, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Moses was fearful that these people would be going after and devoted to false gods. When Yahweh is forsaken, someone else has to take his place. And who would you have take Yahweh's place? That's almost the question that Moses asked here. Who would you give up Yahweh for? Consider Yahweh. And he sets before them. There in those verses, 3 and 4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I, I, I want to set before you all that God is. He goes on to say, ascribe greatness to our God. The living God is a great God. He's a rock. What, what a striking image for God. He, he is a rock. Rocks in the wilderness provide these wanderers with shelter in the desert storm. It, it was rocks in the wilderness that protected them from the blazing sun. It, it was the rock in the wilderness that at some time provided them with food and water. Would they reject the rock? Would they reject and forsake the rock? And not only is he the rock, but his work is perfect. His work is, is perfect. All that he does is right and good. So, so here, Moses says to them, consider who you would be forsaking by his identity. He, he's the rock. His ways are perfect. This is the God that you want to forsake. And then he talks about his, his work. All his ways are just. He goes on later to say there's no injustice with God. Everything God does is right. He's faithful. He's a faithful God. You can depend upon Him. When He gives you His Word, it will come to pass. He's a just God. He's a faithful God. He's a good God. He's righteous and upright. I mean, Moses takes time to address who God is. 
And, and it's almost as though in this song, Moses is saying, Dear people, you, you've got a living, true God who's been your rock, whose ways are perfect. He, he does things that are right, and he's a good God. Now, now would you forsake him? And who will you forsake him for? I, I was listening to one message this week, and, and, and the illustration that was given was, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, you see a couple that has been married. And then after a while, the husband becomes unfaithful. And he forsakes his wife. For another. And you meet the other. And you're somewhat shocked. You gave up her? For her? Really? And that's what you have. The true and the living God. And now, will you forsake your devotion, your loyalty, your service, and your love to him for her? Oh, I, I see they have eyes, but you know what? They can't see. They, they have ears, but they can't hear. They have a nose, but they can't smell. Look, they even have feet. But they can't walk. They have hands. But they can't touch. And you're willing to forsake Yahweh for them? Remember who God is. It's one of the ways that we will be kept from sin is to recognize who God is. It, it, it is a blessed means to persevere in our obedience when we really behold God as who He is, do you know why we often fall into sin? Because we make our God so little that we think our sin won't really matter. Do you know why so often we are not a people who have a passion and a yearning for God? Because God in our lives is too small. And, and the desire of God's people ought to be, I want to know Him. I want to grow in Him. I, I want to, to live for Him. And therefore I need to know Him. The reason we become oftentimes lazy or indifferent to the things of God is because 
Our God is a small God. And the song of Moses tells the children of Israel, don't lose sight of who God is. The rock, the faithful, the just God of the universe. And some of us may ask, why is it that I find coming to church to be so boring? Why is it that when God's Word is opened, I really don't listen? I don't pay attention? Why is it when it comes to singing hymns about God, my heart's not in it? Could it be Moses in this song says, here's where I want your focus to be. Look at Yahweh, the rock, the righteous and upright God that he is. Well then, in verses 5 through 14, we have what I'm calling the appeal of the song. The appeal of the song. And in these verses, Moses pleads with the children of Israel, first of all, to consider their ways, consider their actions, and then secondly, to remember the actions of God. So his first appeal is for the children of Israel to to, to consider their actions. Moses says to them, starting in verse 5, they have acted corruptly towards him. They are not his children because of their defect. Uh, They are not his children because of their defect, but are perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord? O foolish and unwise people, is not he your father who has brought you and here has made you and established you. So, so Moses here gives another warning. I mean, it, it's like Moses said, it's like Moses says, I know you people. I, I've been with you for some 40 years. And it's as almost as though Moses would say, I mean, somebody would come up to him and say, hey, you know what they're doing now? And Moses' reply would be, I'm not surprised. Do you ever get to know someone? Not not only the the good things they do, but some of what we might call their warts. And someone comes up to you and says, you know what's going on with so-and-so? And they tell you something. And someone says, I'm not surprised. It's been their history. It's what they do. And Moses is saying to them, listen, 
Here's my concern. As you go into that land, and as you begin to occupy that land, and as you begin to see these other gods and these other idols, will you forsake? Will you treat God this way and follow after them? Will you, will you be a foolish and unwise people? I'm afraid that may happen. I would not be shocked. I've been there when, when you've complained and murmured. I've been there when you build a golden calf. I've seen all this. I've seen your history. And now I just want to warn you to, to consider your actions. Do you repay the Lord, O oh foolish and unwise people? Would you treat God this way? In many ways, it's the same with many relationships. On more than one occasion, you, you, you talk to a couple and, and you find out that there are difficulties going on in the marriage and you hear about things that are happening and you want to look at one of the spouses or the other and say, really? You're going to repay them this way? Your husband has worked hard. He's provided for you. He's taken care of you. He's given a roof over your head and food on your table. And you're going to treat him this way? Really? You, your wife has loved you and cared for you and has set an environment in your home that's wonderful and good, and you're going to treat her this way? Really? But it's even worse when you think about Almighty God and, and all that He has done for you, and the question is, will you repay Him this way by allowing other things to have a priority in your life? Really? He's going to be a byword. He's going to be something of convenience. You don't want to really have to pay a difficult price to follow him. Really? You're going to repay God in this way? You see, at the end of the day, their sin wasn't just something they committed that only affects them. But their rebellion and their disobedience was a reproach against God. When you sin, when I sin, it's, it's not just something I do and it's only going to affect me and, 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 it, and it's no big deal. My friends, it's an approach against Almighty Remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. He, he had a concern that, that his behavior would not bring shame upon the Lord. Do, do you recognize when you sin, it brings reproach and shame upon the cause of God Almighty? Do you realize when, when you walk in rebellion to what God says, no matter what excuse you may have for doing so, it, it bears reproach upon your great God. 
So, so it's a reminder to each one of us, be careful when you make little of your sin or your disobedience. Moses saying, don't forget the Lord deserves your devotion, your loyalty, your priority. How can you think to do anything else in light of who God is? We see here that they were, verse 7, Remember the days of old and consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. This was a song that was to call future generations to think about Yahweh. Remember Yahweh. Ask your father. It is assumed that dads, we're ready to tell our children about Yahweh and, and what Yahweh has done. Can you imagine sitting in one of those Hebrews' homes? Children gather around. Dad, tell, tell us again that story. Tell, tell us. You know, my grandchildren love for me to tell them stories. And, and, and sometimes I make them up, and sometimes I tell them stories about growing up. They like to hear stories about their parents. Children, let me tell you the story about when your dad, your dad fell and broke his leg twice. Oh, yes, Grandpa, tell us that story. The children of Israel sitting around and saying, Dad, Grandpa, tell us the story. What was it like? What did your parents tell you it was like to, to be at the Red Sea and, 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 and the Egyptian army coming on and and you thought you were goners. Tell us that story. And, and we get to tell them the story about how God parted the sea. Tell, tell us that story on that occasion when, when the serpents were let loose and, and they were biting and, and Israelites were falling dead and, and Moses held up his staff and, and out they looked to the staff. Tell us that story. Tell us that one. Tell, tell us what... Yahweh has done. Dad, 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 tell us the story about how you were so close to coming into the promised land. And when you came back and heard there were giants in the land. Oh, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that God promised he would give you. But when you heard about those giants, how you became afraid. And you didn't trust God. Yes, children, that's true. That's why your grandparents died in the wilderness. Because we didn't trust God. Dear fathers, dear fathers, how much time do we spend with our children teaching them about the things of God? Listen, fathers, you need to teach them about baseball. You need to teach them about manhood. And masculinity. You need to teach them about all those things. But fathers, your children better hear you talk to them about God. And what He has done.
And so we hear that the children of Israel were to consider their actions because their actions have even led them to the place where God says they are not his children because they have defects. But our perverse and crooked generation, listen, we're, we're only one, one generation away from being numbered just as they were. But then secondly, they were to remember the actions of God. They were to remember the actions of God. Let me just read it. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask the fathers and he will ask the father and he will inform you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, and he set boundaries of people according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. So first of all, God is sovereign. He's the one that set up boundaries. He said earlier, he's the one who created you. He established you. Then he goes on. For the Lord, verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found them in a desert land and in a howling waste of wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil, or some of your version may have, apple of his eye. God's the one who divinely set his love upon a particular people. Here we see God's sovereign selectivity. He set his love upon a particular people. Not because they were lovely. He found them in a wasteland. He found them, as the word of God says, in a desert land. A waste of wilderness, and yet God set his love upon them to make them his people. And he treasured them. He treasured them. Verse 11. Like the eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. You see, he he protected them. He cared for them. Verse 12. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign gods with him. He he guided. He he led them. Verse 13. He made him ride upon high places of the earth. He ate the produce of the field. He made him suck honey from a rock and oil from a fiddly rock, curds of the cows, milk of the flocks, with the fat of lambs and the rams and the beet of Basham and goats, with the finest of wheat and of the blood of grapes you drank wine. God God just took care of you. He, He provided for you. What a good God Jehovah is and now what will you do with him? What what will he be to you? Re- remember, it is God who brought you into the land. Over and over again, we realize he doesn't say you guys did this. He says I did this for you. 
I provided for you. I protected you like an eagle. I gave you good things. That's how I've acted toward you. Now, how will you repay me? What will you do? And so as we consider these things together, the spirit of the song, the focus of the song, Yahweh, Jehovah God, the appeal of the song, oh dear people, don't forsake him. Be, Be devoted to him. The actions of God, his goodness directed toward them. We ought to walk away with with these things. Number one, we ought to treasure God. Do you treasure God? Do 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 you treasure the relationship that you can have with God? Isn't it sort of sad to think of all the things we pursue above? Have you ever thought about the things that you, you, you have a greater desire for and a greater passion for and you pursue more than you do God? Now we might have thought, not me! But my friend, you're a better than person than I am. It shouldn't be that way. But all too often it is. Do you treasure the relationship you have with because the thing is, with the children of Israel, they couldn't do the, the, the covenant. They couldn't keep this covenant. It was an impossibility. So God gave us a new covenant where it is possible to have a relationship to God. But that relationship to God comes through his son, the rock. The rock. And so, as we consider these things together, I pray that that you treasure the relationship that you have with your great God. Secondly, how we ought to be grateful that this great God has provided a way in which we can know Him. We can have a relationship with Him. You can have a relationship with this God. And that relationship doesn't come because you kept the ten words. The relationship comes because of Christ and Christ alone. And the third thing I would draw out of this is how foolish and unwise it is for some of you to sit here and reject the true and the living God. How sad. Some of you have heard the truth from your mom and dad. You've heard the truth about Christ and about your sin and about your need of a Savior, and you've rejected it. You've heard the truth in a Sunday school classroom where you've had a Sunday school teacher who've taught you the truth about your need of a Savior, your need of a relationship to God that only comes to that Savior, and you still reject Him. There are some of you who have sat here for years And to this day, you still reject the Savior. And I use the words of Moses, 
how unwise and foolish is that? And maybe some of you may say, well, I'm so young. You know, let me live my life and then I will. My friend, you don't know how long you're going to live. See how unwise that is? Well, let me see if I can find a better way to have a relationship with God. And there is no better way. So your rejection of God is foolish and wise. Because today he's offering you once again. If you but believe and trust and turn away from yourself. Well, this is the start of Moses' song. I think we'll be in it a couple more weeks. We'll see. But I trust God will use it in our lives to do us good. Let's pray. Father, you're a great God. And you truly deserve our devotion, our loyalty, our priority. And yet we find so many other things that we seek after. We find so many other things that that are hindrances to us following you as we are. Forgive us for repaying you in this way. Thank you that you're a merciful God. And Father, how how thankful we are that, that as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so, Father, we pray that that each one of us may may have a greater desire for a greater relationship to the God that we profess, that we love. Father, we pray for those who, who make light of this salvation, who continue to go on their own way, giving very little thought to eternity and death. They they find themselves, though they may not realize it or profess it, slaves of Satan. And they do his bidding. Father, how we pray that even this morning you you would be pleased to, to open their eyes to the truth, break their hearts of stone as only you can do, and and give an increase in bringing many unto yourself. And so, Father, we pray that, like the children of Israel, we would not forget who you are. And by your grace and by your mercy, we would be a people who are fully, totally committed to you. So take your word and by the work of the Spirit, do good among us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn to number 81, a hymn in which we are reminded of God's faithfulness. It's that familiar hymn of Martin Luther's, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a Bulwark Never Failing. Number 81 in your Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing.
we will have lunch together and about 1.45 we'll be coming to the Lord's table.